Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, Home for the Holidays. For some of us, Christmas time can trigger an array of feelings like nostalgia, joy, and togetherness. And for the rest of us, the holidays can be summed up in two words, dysfunctional family. Whatever side you're on, this series will show you how to become a better husband, wife, mother, or father, and how to build on these relationships by putting Christ in the center. Good morning. Y'all good? Everybody ready? Be good, 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 good morning. Already been a good morning. Seeing God do some incredible things already today. I'm glad you're here. If it's your first time at Connection, man, thankful that you came to worship with us today. Um, if you've been here before, glad to have you back. Um, we're going to continue this message series, uh, Home for the Holidays, in just a second. And um, I want to first say thank you to Joey Fennel for the last couple of weeks, man. He has killed it, done such an awesome job, and uh, spoke a lot of truth into the life of our church and into my life. And so very, very thankful for, for him and for all these, these guys around me that, um, that can come and step up here and preach the word and uh, that God uses week in, week out uh, when they preach to do incredible things. So very thankful for them. Um, also... I want to remind you of a couple of things coming up. One is the service day, December 22nd. Don't forget that. We'll have one service at 9 a.m. And then we're going to go to the cafeteria here and we're going to prepare plates. We're going to get those plates out to people who otherwise may not have Christmas dinner. It was awesome last year. It was an incredible day. So asking that you'd come and be a part of that. Don't miss the opportunity to bless people um, on that day. So be here at 9 o'clock. We're going to worship and then we're going to go out and be a tangible representation of the love of Christ to this community. Also, the Christmas Eve service is on that Tuesday, December 24th. Obviously, it would have to be on December 24th if it's a Christmas Eve service. And so we're going to do that. And, uh, and, and that'll be at 530. And I would encourage you, bring somebody who does not go to church. We're not only going to worship God because he came. We're going to worship God because of why he came to earth. And, and we're going to proclaim the gospel. And you can get people to church on Christmas. You can get people to church on Easter when you might not otherwise be able to get people to church. And so we want to encourage you to invite people, um, bring them here. They're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear the good news of Jesus um, and, and, and be encouraged um, about who he is and be challenged to make a decision for him. And so I'd love to, to see us really see this as an opportunity to bring people um, and, and possibly, man, it may be the invitation that brings them to a relationship with Christ. And how awesome would that be? No greater Christmas gift than that, right? Seeing people go from death to life in Christ. So, um, Today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you, or you may have your Bible, you need to turn it on, right? Um, and so I know like a lot of you use your phones. Uh, and so whenever I see you on your phone during a service, I do see you, by the way. Um, and, and I just assume like you're just reading the Bible, right? Or you're sending somebody a text and being like, man, this is the greatest message I've ever heard. And so um, that's just what I, what I assume. If I'm wrong, don't tell me. Uh, but it's going to be Acts chapter 10. And... Um, I want to talk to you today about a guy by the name of Cornelius. And, uh, and, and in this chapter, I want to set it up so we don't read the whole chapter. I just want to read um, specifically a few verses and talk about those. But in this chapter, um, you see a man by the name of Cornelius who was not a believer. He was a God-fearer. He was a person who um, feared the Lord. He was seeking the Lord, but he had not yet become a Christian. And so this man, Cornelius, is praying one day, um, and he has a vision 
um, and this angel speaks to him and says, send to Joppa, it was a city, he says, send, send to Joppa, send some men there to bring a guy back by the name of Peter. Now this is the apostle Peter. Peter's in Joppa, um, Cornelius sends these men and they go, at the same time Peter is praying and he has a vision in which God tells him that nothing is, he's made is unclean. That's important because Cornelius was what we call a Gentile. A Gentile is someone who's not a Jew. Most of us in here today are Gentiles. And so God speaks to Peter and says, do not call anything I've created unclean. And he tells him specifically, there's going to be some guys who are going to come and get you. They're going to take you to um, a man's house by the name of Cornelius. And you're supposed to go there. You're supposed to go in his home, which was forbidden for Jews to go into the home of a Gentile. But he said, you're going to go into his home and you're supposed to go in there and you're going to proclaim the gospel. And so this chapter has huge implication for the majority of people in this room, because this, this chapter is really God's showing the world showing people still to this day that he has accepted Gentiles the same way he accepted Jews. And that is by faith in Jesus Christ. So this chapter literally breaks down racial barriers, ethnic barriers, religious barriers, all kinds of barriers. And you'll read in this, and we'll see it in a moment where Peter sees that these Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in tongues, just as the Jews did on the day of Pentecost. And Peter realizes God has accepted them the same way he's accepted us. And so how can we not allow them to be baptized? One, baptized in the name of Jesus, two, baptized into the community of faith, which is the church, the body of believers. And so it's a huge chapter for us. What I want to do today is I want to draw in on this guy Cornelius because God uses Cornelius and he uses Peter to open the gospel up to all of these people. Cornelius would have been a man with a lot of influence. So I don't think it's accidental that God picked Cornelius and he takes Cornelius and he opens the gospel up to the rest of the world. And, and I want us to look at specifically Cornelius today and how did God use him? Why did God use him? I want to speak specifically to the power of influence. God picked an influential person to influence the world. Today, the ramifications of this chapter are still going on. It's still continuing. The ripples are still going. As you and I, have we, for many of us in here today, have come into faith in Christ. It would have never happened if not for this chapter of Scripture. Right? And so I want us to look at, at the power of influence. I specifically want to talk to men about the power of influence. But listen, you may be a woman, you may, may be a man. I specifically want to hone in on dads. I want to speak to dads and the power of influence in your home. I want to talk about that. But you may not be a dad. You may be a dad one day. You may have grown children who are no longer in your home. You may be a female. That is fine. Take these points, apply them to the people in your life that you have influence with. It, it, it works the same way. You'll hear things in this that you can apply to your life. But I specifically want to speak to dads. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to be the dad, to use the influence, to leverage that in your family, in your home, and, and, and with the people around you so that God can do through you what he desires to do. Okay, so I want to read just a few verses. We talked about where we're at. At this point in chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse 30. Cornelius has, has invited Peter. Peter has come. Peter asked Cornelius, why did you send for me? And this is Cornelius's answer. Verse 30, Acts chapter 10. Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. I told him at nine o'clock, for some reason when I read that verse, I think about Puff the Magic Dragon, who lives by the sea. I just, 
always comes to me when I read that. So I'll probably be singing that the rest of the day. And so he says, so he lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And so Peter begins to speak. He begins to share the gospel. He begins to share all that Jesus did. He begins to share about how he was raised from the dead. And then in verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. Why were they astonished? Because the gospel had been received. God's approval had been placed upon the Gentiles. They were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues, which goes back to the day of Pentecost and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? Why? Because they received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. I want to pray and we're going to jump in. This is what God tells us about the power of our influence. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is living and active. God, thank you for the stewardship of influence. I pray that we would not take it lightly. I pray, God, you will speak to our hearts. God, that we would be um, encouraged, convicted, corrected, um, challenged. God, today to walk out of here and to use our influence in the, the ways you've, you've intended it, God, that, that men would be men and that they would stand up, that, that we would um, quit acting like boys and that we would begin to stand up for you in our families, in our homes, God, in the community and share our faith, um, God, that we would begin to be in a relationship with you and that we would live for you, God, and that we would see the miracle that happens when we lead people to you. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So looking at this guy, um, Cornelius, he had a, a great amount of influence. And one of the things that I've realized about being a parent, especially being a father, is, is I carry a huge amount of influence with my children. And so, for instance, the other day we were at a restaurant and I, I will leave the restaurant um, nameless because as you saw with Joey, if you say anything here, somebody finds out. Like, they're literally, if I said the name of the restaurant, somebody from this restaurant would come up to me this week and be like, I heard what you said. And, and it would literally happen. And so um, I'm going to leave it nameless, but we're walking out. It had been raining and um, we're, we're, we're walking out of this restaurant, raining, wet pavement. I'm carrying my three-year-old Reed um, across the parking lot. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this car comes flying around the parking lot and uh, makes a curve, turns a corner, back ends, kind of like, Woo! you know, coming around and like I grab reading, I take off running. I'm like, we're about to die. Right. And so I take off running. And when they go by, I'm like, idiot like that. And, and so we start, I'm not that godly. I'm telling you, like, if, if you're here because I am godly, you are in the wrong place. Right. And so, um, I'm like, idiot, you know, just out of frustration. I'm like, idiot. And so uh, I start walking to the car and Reed looks over and he goes, idiot. I'm like, no, God. And then what can I do? I'm like, Reed, don't say that. And he gets this look. He's like, why? You just did, right? And so I realized that I have this amount of influence with my family. And, and, and I realized that what God is teaching us a lot about Cornelius and what we see in this, this life is first and foremost about the Gentiles receiving the gospel and receiving the Holy Spirit. But we see that, 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 that God is showing us a man who had great influence. If you got um, your cards today, on your cards, you should have on the back of that card, you should have a little thing you can tear off and you can write some notes, some little fill in the blank things. If you didn't get one of those, we have a few left. If you want to raise your hand, like right now, you want one of those cards. There's one down here. I know this lady, you better get her one. She'll be mad at me. It's my mom. 
Um, there's a couple over here. And so we could just pretend this is a salvation invitation, right? Let's do that. And so I'm just kidding. Keep your hands up and they'll bring them down. We got people coming down with those cards. We're going to do some fill in the blank things with this. And you can get one of these cards. If you don't get one, you, it'll be online this week. You can get one. Um, or if you just want to write and keep up with your notes uh, somewhere else, that'll be fine too. All right. So the first thing I want to tell you, and the first thing we see in this, this text, when you look at Cornelius and you look at his life, and you look at how God is using him is this, and this is point number one, that Cornelius was a man of great influence. And so are you guys, listen to me. God has given you influence. He has put influence in your life. There are people around you that you are influencing women. There are people around you, you are influencing. He has given you a circle of influence, people for you to impact, people for you to uh, um, affect, people for you to listen. This is the purpose of influence, people for you to lead to Jesus. You have influence so that you can lead your family and others to Christ. Cornelius would have been a man of great influence. If you go back and you look at verse 1 in chapter 10, we see this, that Cornelius was a centurion. A centurion was a man who was in charge of a hundred other men in the Roman military. So he understood this thing of influence. He understood what it was to command people to go and they go. Um, You also see over in verses 7 and 8 where when he sends for Peter, he didn't go himself. He calls two soldiers and a servant and he says, listen guys, I need you to go. Go get Peter. Go get him and bring him here. And they went. He understood influence. Cornelius was a man of influence. People did what he asked. You look over in verse 24 in the second part of that scripture. It says that he called people together to his home to come and hear the gospel. And they came. Why? Because Cornelius had influence. The thing I want you to understand, especially guys in this room, God has given you a measure of influence and it is a stewardship that you have to begin to steward. God has given you a great responsibility with the ability to influence people. I would ask you this question. How are you influencing the people around you? How are you influencing your family? How are you influencing your wife? How are you influencing your children? Are they coming closer to Christ because of your influence, because you're stewarding it the right way? I would say this, that his family was not prodding and pushing him closer to God. He was leading his family closer to God. He was leading them. They weren't pushing him. There are too many men who walk in church every Sunday because they're being pushed by their family. It's time for us to step up and be men and lead our families to church. It's time for us to step up and be men and lead our families to God. There are too many women who are having to assume the role of the spiritual leader, guys, and we need to to, to find it within ourselves. We need to get into a relationship with Jesus that transfers over into our relationship with our family so that our family is growing closer to Christ because of our influence. Most of us do not realize that we've been given influence by God for the purpose of leading our family and others closer to Jesus. That's why you have influence. Is to spread the gospel, to bring people closer to Christ. That's why you can invite somebody on Christmas Eve and they'll actually come, right? Because you have influence with people and it's to be used to bring people closer to Christ. The second thing there, number one, some of you got your cards late. So number one, again, Cornelius was a man of great influence. Number two, Cornelius' family did what he did. Cornelius' family did what he did. Verse 33, listen to it. Cornelius tells Peter, I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here, right? Cornelius was there. Those he invited was there. Our families will do what we do. 
I see it with my children all the time. They want to talk like me, obviously, the idiot thing, right? Bonehead mistake, right? Right? And they want to dress like me. I don't know why. I'm a horrible, like, right? But they do. They want to dress. They want to walk. They want to do everything the way I do. Why? Because I have an influence with them. They were all there. Verse 44, while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. God opened all of their hearts to receive it. All of them were there. They came together because Cornelius had influence. His family did what he did. Influence equals leadership. When we have influence with people we're leading, and you may not see yourself as a leader, but this is what I can promise you. You are leading people somewhere, and the quality of your leadership is going to be determined upon the one who you follow. Are you following Jesus? Where are you leading people? Because you're leading somebody somewhere. He led his family to Jesus. And listen, he didn't lead them to Jesus because he lorded it over them. He wasn't like, you need to come hear this man. He invited them and they came. He didn't lord it over him. It wasn't his lordship over them that brought them. It was God's lordship over him. They saw it in his life. They knew it was real. They recognized it in him. They became interested in what he was interested in. They, they, that what was important to him became important to them. And this is the thing I'll tell you, you got to hear this, guys. What you're passionate about speaks way louder than your words. What you're passionate about speaks way louder than your words. My kids love baseball. You know why they love baseball? I love baseball. My kids love football. You know why they love football? I love football. My kids love to hunt. You know why they love to hunt? Because I love to hunt. My kids love to fish. You know why they love to fish? Because I love to fish. And I hope my kids love Jesus because they see me loving Jesus. They're going to love what we're passionate. They're going to be drawn to what we're passionate about. Are we passionate about Jesus? We were as passionate about our family coming to know Christ. We were as passionate about our relationship with Jesus as we are our children hitting a home run. Oh my gosh, how we would change the world. We've got to come to a place where our greatest passion is to see our family transformed by the gospel of Jesus. Listen, and I want to throw this is coming out. None of us are perfect at it. We all screwed up. I had to apologize last night for being grumpy. Anybody else is grumpy? Yeah, just get grumpy. I don't know why I'm grumpy. I'm just grumpy. I apologize to my children. Like, I'm sorry, I'm grumpy. I'm just grumpy. And, and Dake's even picked up. My oldest, he's 11. He's already picked up on it. He'll just be like, Dad, you're grumpy. I'm like, yeah, I am, son. And none of us are perfect at this. But when we're growing in a relationship with Jesus, man, we begin to be transformed more into his image. We begin to become closer. And what we're passionate about ultimately, if we're passionate about Jesus, it's going to draw people closer to Jesus. I remember watching the Auburn-Alabama football game the other night, and I made enemies this morning, so I'm not even going to talk about who I want to win the national championship because I know some of you love Florida State, some of you love Auburn. Um, so I'm not going to go there. Um, but anyway, I like the SEC. All right, I said it. Um, <laughs> So I felt like I needed to be transparent. Okay. And so I'm watching the Auburn, Alabama game. We know what happens unless you were under a rock somewhere, you know, kind of what happened. Like Auburn runs it back, the, the field goal back with one second left and everybody's astonished. Like the whole crowd, the whole Alabama crowd, like they, they got their mouth open. You can see their tooth and it's like, it's like, they're all, they're all like astonished. Right. And so they couldn't believe that Alabama had done like that they had lost because Alabama was un, unstoppable, untouchable. And so, um, they, they, but they lose and then they show, they pan the crowd. Somebody got really offended by that. They pan the crowd and 
and, and they're showing this, this dad, and he's got his arm around two children, and one of the boys, he looked like he was about 10, he's just bawling his eyes out. Some of you may have seen it, they show it on ESPN quite a bit, and he's just bawling and crying. Why? Because his team lost, man, and, and he was so bad, he so much wanted Alabama to win, and this is the thing I would ask you, is why was he so passionate about Alabama football? I'm not saying his dad's the devil. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he was passionate about Alabama football because his dad is passionate about Alabama football. You know what I'm saying? And and it's just a reality. Dads, you want your children to be passionate about Jesus? It's not easy, but you be passionate. You grow in your relationship and don't fake it because they know it. You live for God and watch how it impacts your family. I've talked with so many dads who they made mistakes early on and then they got older and they came to a relationship with Jesus and I hear miracle after miracle about dads whose families, um, their children came back and, and established a relationship with them because they saw a change in their father. I can't promise you that, but I can tell you this, whether that happens or not, you're gonna be better for having pursued a relationship with Christ. And so we, we see that whatever we're passionate about, they're going to be passionate about it. Cornelius' family did what he did. Number three, Cornelius used his influence to open his family's heart to the gospel. He used his influence to open his family's heart to the gospel, not close them off. Cornelius, in his own pursuit of God, had done the hard work of tilling the soil of his family's heart so that they could receive the seed of God's word. They had watched, they had seen. I know this was real for Cornelius. You know how I know it's real? Because the Bible says in chapter 10 that he had, he prayed and he gave. He prayed and he gave. And God heard his prayers. He saw the alms that he had given come up before him. And I know he was not casually devoted. I know he was not just casually devoted to God, but he was sold out following Jesus or following God. And he became a born again believer in verse 44. Because he was giving and he was praying. You want to see what you're passionate about? Look at your prayer life. You want to see what you're passionate about? Look where your money goes. It shows us our passion. And so Cornelius used his influence to open his family's heart to the gospel, not shut them off. Dad, you need to understand this, that much of our children's influence uh, or the influence we have on our children, much of their image of God comes from how we father. It comes from how we father. In other words, they take our father, father dumb, right? I don't know if that's a word or not. Just nod like, that's a good word, preacher. <laughs> take the way we, we father them and they take that and they begin to transpose it onto God. They begin to see God the way we father. And none of us are perfect. And I have to remind my children all the time, guys, listen, I messed that up. I really messed that situation up, Right? I'm not perfect, I apologize, I wish I were better, I'm gonna get better, I'm growing too. But here's the thing I can promise you, you have a perfect heavenly father who does not make those mistakes. And I have to teach them through that. But I'll tell you this guys, some of your biggest mistakes can become your greatest teaching points if you will humble yourself, repent, and ask your children to forgive you. Nothing more powerful than seeing a man who will repent before Jesus, his family takes note of that. But we shape their picture. The more closely we become to the image of Christ, the more our Heavenly Father pours into us, the more we give an accurate picture of who God is to our children. And I want to really challenge you guys with this. Some of you guys, you're like, man, I'm 19. I ain't thinking about having kids, right? 
but one day you will. And I can promise you this, if you're not preparing yourself now, when you have that first child, your life becomes a whirlwind. Can I get an amen from some parents up in the house, right? You're lying. You need to be preparing now. You need to be getting your heart ready now. You need to be pressing into Jesus now, right? Because it becomes a whirlwind. I blink. My son turned 11. This My oldest is 11. I'm like, man, he's getting old, but I'm getting really old. And, and you just blink and it happens. And I would challenge you guys, whether you got kids now, whether they're grown, whether you're going to have children one day, I would challenge you with this, that when you accept the responsibility of being a father, you accept a divine stewardship. It is a divine stewardship that God give you, gives you to raise, to manage, to care for one of his own. I was talking to a friend of mine this week about that, and he was like, dude, that's heavy. I was like, I know, I'm pretty deep, right? No, I didn't say that. I said, I said, I know, man. I said, I know, it weighs on you. You think about it, and it's a huge weight that you feel. And the reality is we can't do it on our own. I mean, the Bible even says apart from him, we can do nothing. But in him, you know, all things are possible. We can become like Christ. We can pour into them. And he said, you know, that's heavy. And I said, yeah, it's heavy, but it's reality and it's responsibility. It is a divine stewardship that God has given us to raise our children, to influence them with Christ. We've got this influence, but it should be used to open their hearts to the gospel. Moms, open their hearts to the gospel. Dads, open their hearts to the gospel that they could receive it. Do the hard work of tilling the soil of their heart by the way you live and pursue the Lord. Number four, listen, out of verse 33 also. Cornelius brought the gospel into his home. It says they were all there. They were in Cornelius' home. They come because of his influence. They came to hear what Peter would say. He brought them into his home. I would ask you this, and this is, this is, this will hit you like right in the mouth. It hit me. Dad, what are you bringing into your home? What are you bringing into your home? Are you bringing the gospel? Are you bringing grace? Are you raising them to know Christ? Here's the astonishing thing that, that, that um, statistically, the average boy sees pornography for the first time when he's 10.4 years old. That is insane. And the most likely place for him to find it is his dad's own collection. I don't think that's stewarding very well. I think we can do better, guys. We can do better. I'd ask you this, dad, are you guarding your home? Are you guarding your children's heart? Are you protecting? Are you guarding? Are you, are you, are you, are you guarding their heart or are you setting them up for hurt and failure? It's a huge responsibility that we cannot do on our own, but with the help of God, we can raise godly men. We can raise godly women who love Jesus and who have seen it firsthand because we lived it. The next section, it says, why are you losing the battle of faith in your home? This is why, why sometimes I feel like I'm losing the battle of faith in my home. This is something that we're all in. I'm not standing up here saying, you need to do this and you need to do that. I'm telling you, this is where we're at. This is reality. This is what we need to do. Matthew chapter 23 is where I want to talk about this. Cornelius used his, uh, his um, influence wisely. He used it well. And in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking about some other people with influence who don't use it so wisely. In Matthew chapter 23, I want to read the first four verses, and we're going to talk about this a little bit. Why sometimes we lose the battle of faith in our homes. 
Verse 1 says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of his day, right? He's talking about them, the ones who are supposed to be leading the people closer to God. He says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. The first thing I would tell you about these Pharisees and these teachers of the law that Jesus is, is speaking about is that they had a position of authority with no influence. And so you write down, you have a position of authority with no influence. Sometimes we don't win the battle of faith in our home because we have a position of authority with no influence. But I just told you, you have great influence and you do. But is your influence effective? Is it powerful in the area of faith? It will be powerful in the area of faith and in, in leading them to Christ if you're investing in that area. Influence comes by making investments in people's lives. It's actually caring about them and investing in them. And are you investing spiritually into the lives of your family, and the lives of your children, your wife, your husband? Are you investing in them? See, these people had to obey the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, according to Jesus, because they sat in Moses' seat. What was Moses' seat? It was a seat of authority. He had authority. And so he's like, you got to do what they say, but do what they say. Don't do what they do. And so we have to realize that this positional authority is extremely weak because what happens to our children one day? One day they grow up and they start driving. One day they grow up and they go to college. One day they grow up and they have their own family and they begin to get out of our authority um, to the point where we can't keep our finger on them all the time. And at the moment that they're out from under the authority of their mom or their dad, if we haven't influenced them, listen, if we've only policed them and we have not influenced them, then we have lost our ability to to lead them. But if you will influence them rather than just being a taskmaster over them, if you will influence them rather than police them, you can lead them for the rest of their life because your influence will continue to impact them. That's a lot. Y'all ought to amen or clap or say something. That gum, I don't That was good. Your influence will carry leadership all through their life. But this, just do as I say, not as I do. It doesn't work. In fact, the second one there, if you want to look at that, is your actions don't match your words. We all fall guilty of this at times, don't we? It's like, idiot, right? I seem to remember something about that. Don't say that, Reed. Why? You just said it. And we'll tell our children, don't do things or do things, but we either do them or we don't do them. And so, so many times as Jesus says here, don't do what they say or do what they say, but don't do what they do. They don't practice what they preach. Are we living out this relationship with Jesus so that they see it? Remember what we're passionate about is going to speak louder than our words. Do they see a living real relationship with Jesus? Do they see it? Number three, listen to verses five through seven. Jesus speaking to the people still about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Everything they do is done for men to see. They made their phylacteries long. These are like the, the, the sleeves and the tassels that hung off of their sleeves on their robes. They made their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They loved the, the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. And then he goes on in verses 8 through 11, telling them, this is not what you should be doing. You should be serving people. You don't need to be called rabbi. You serve them. 
You show them the reality of a relationship with Jesus. And the third one I would tell you is that their religion was about appearance, not a relationship. Do you know how many guys, see these guys love to dress up. They love for their robes to look good. They love to be able to sit in the seat of honor. They love to be respected. It sounds a lot like our churches today. We love to be seen, but is our religion about appearance, not a relationship with God? I was talking with somebody the other day and they were like, well, I really think you can trust him. He's a good Christian man. I was like, I've been disappointed by a lot of good Christian men, right? And it doesn't mean what it used to mean because we live in the South where everybody's a Christian. If we own a Bible, we're Christian. If we go to church 1.3 Sundays a month, we're Christian. But I don't believe that that is what the Bible teaches a Christian is. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches a Christian man is. It is a man who is willing to exhaust himself to pursue Jesus. It's a man who is willing to exhaust himself to no end to make sure his family hears about God. It's a man who, who even when he's worn out at night, goes in and reads and shares and prays with his kids. That's not just the the, the fanatical Christian, that is a Christian. It's what we do, not because we make ourselves do it, but because there's something in us, and his name is the Holy Spirit, that says this is what you do. This is who you are. Do this. I've given you a stewardship of these children to take care of. Now do what I've asked you to do. I'll tell you this, guys, if it's not real to you, it won't be real to them. It won't be real to them. You can't fool them. My 11-year-old Dake, man, he's so smart. The other night, I was, I'd read to him, and, and we talked a little bit about, about God, Bible, and different things. And I would have my iPad, and I'd do a lot of reading on my iPad and stuff. And he goes, Daddy, is the Bible on that iPad? I said, um, yeah, why? He goes, because that's the only thing I ever see you reading. I was like, dang. I was like, yeah, the Bible's on here, son. Bibles, let me show you where the Bible is. Look, I got all of these translations I can read, right? But we can't fool them. They're watching. They want to see, is this real to him? Is this real to her? Because if it's real to us, there's a greater chance it's going to become real to them. We can't fool them. It's got to be real. Here's an interesting thought. After Jesus gives the people these instructions, he turns and he begins to speak to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law. And he says in verse 13, he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. So what did Jesus call these people who tended to do what some of the things that we tend to do? He called them hypocrites. And always hear people say, well, everybody in church is a hypocrite. We got room for one more. You come on. I don't believe that. Because a hypocrite is somebody who claims one thing and then lives another. See, this church is full of imperfect people who live transparently so that some may see the power of God. I don't claim perfection. But I claim to be in a relationship with the one who is perfect. And the closer I get to him, the more he changes me. I may not be all that I need to be, but I'm closer to what I need to be than I was this time last week or last year or last decade. And when we're growing closer to Christ, that's what he does. It is not me. It is not you. It is Christ in us that transforms us and that begins to overflow into 
our families and our community and the people at work and, and, and our extended family that y'all are going to have to go be around the next few weeks, right? And it overflows even into them. We begin to see what God does. We can't be hypocritical because Jesus says that in that we begin to shut the door to heaven. We begin to close heaven off for people. Why? Because we give them an inaccurate understanding and view of God. And so we're called to have a relationship, not just live in religion. The next section, last section there, reasons men don't lead their families to Jesus, right? This is why, why we fall short at times. This is why many times we don't do the job. Number one, you don't know Jesus. Like that's kind of a no-brainer, right? We don't know Jesus, but in the South, it's, it's, it's just, we have to have a wake-up call. I may not even be in a relationship with him, and this is the thing I can promise you, is if you're not in a relationship with Christ, if you're not growing closer to Christ, you won't have passion to bring other people to Christ. It's just the way it works. We can't fake it. We either have a transformed heart that came from the power of the Holy Spirit when we receive Jesus and our lives are being transformed, or we don't. But if we don't know him, it only makes sense that we won't have passion to lead others to him. But even when, when I'm not necessarily feeling it, if I'll begin to think about what Jesus has done in my life, if I begin to think about what he's brought me from, when I begin to think about what he saved me from, then I'll begin to praise him for that. And that begins to change my day. It begins to change my life. But I have to intentionally think about that. But if we don't have that, then why would we have a passion to lead others to Christ? Number two, guys, listen, you feel inadequate and unequipped. Inadequate and unequipped. Guys, so many times we think that our family wants us to have a PhD in theology, and that's not so. There are things in the Bible that I still don't understand, things that I still don't know. I read the book of Revelation the other night. I'm like, I'm an idiot, right? I'm dumb. I'm like, we don't have to have all the answers. They just need to know that we're seeking them. They need to know that we're passionately pursuing them. And I really want to encourage you guys in this. Some of you, maybe you've never prayed with your wife. Maybe you never prayed with your kids. Maybe you've never been, been vocal about your, your faith. But you can do this. You can teach your children the gospel. You know a couple of sentences from you, and this is, this is not saying all you got to do is speak two sentences and you're off the hook. I'm telling you, a couple of sentences from you means way more than a 45-minute message from me. They want you to lead them. They want you to be there. They want you to be leading the way. And you can do this. This is how I know you can do this. This week, I told you, Dave, my 11-year-old, he turned 11 this week and on Wednesday. And, and I've always read the Bible to him at night and, and tried to pour into him. Not perfect at it um, by, by any stretch of the imagination, but I try to pour into their lives. And so when he turned 11, I felt like the Lord put in my heart that I needed to get him his own journal. That I needed to go and say, Dave, um, you know, at night, what I want you to do now is I want you to read the Bible. And I want you to journal about what God shows you. And then I'm going to come in and answer any questions you have. And I'm going to pray with you. And so the first night I went and I got him a heart and soul journal. I had to get Jackson one. He's my seven-year-old because I didn't want him pouting. And and so I got both of them a journal. And, I, and so Dake, I said, go in there, read your Bible, and then I want you to write in your journal. And so he wanted to start somewhere new because he was starting a new journal. So he went back and started in Matthew. I said, skip all the names. We'll go back to those later when you understand more of the Old Testament. Skip the names. Start with the birth of Jesus. And so he said, okay. And so he goes and he reads 
And he comes in there a few minutes later and he says, dad, I got two questions. One is about a word and the other is about how I write something down. I was like, oh boy. I started thinking, what is the word that he could be thinking of? And then I thought about the place that he was reading, which is in the beginning of Matthew, which talks about the birth of Jesus. And so I get there and I'm like, oh no, I know what is coming. And so he goes, daddy, what is this word? And we all know that one of the cornerstones of our faith is what? Belief in the virgin birth. And he said, what is this word? I said, son, you need to go ask your mama. That's something that your mother can explain way better than me. Next question. I didn't, I I tried to, listen, I'm planning on having that conversation in the summer right before middle school. I'm kind of you know, I want to be able to pray about that, plan that, talk about that. And so I was like, son, that is a woman who's never been married because ideally that is a woman, right? You know what I'm saying? And so I was like, yeah, we'll talk about that. Let's put that, file that away. We'll come back to that a little bit later, right? And so, and if you want to ask your mom, you can do that. And so, um, and, and he said, okay. And then he asked me how to write down Matthew 1, 18 through 25. He's like, how do I write that? Because I don't want to just write Matthew 1 because I didn't read the whole chapter. So I was like, okay, here it is. And I asked him if I could have permission to read you his takeaway from Matthew 1, 18 through 25, where the angel comes, the birth of Jesus is foretold, and Mary is told she's going to have the baby. And you understand that when you read this, Mary is in great distress because she is realizing this is a huge responsibility, one, but two, she should have been stoned to death because of, um, of, of having this child out of wedlock, right? And so this is what he wrote. I learned that no matter what people think, you should always do what you feel like God wants you to do and it will turn out for the best. I was like, I don't even know if I'd have got that takeaway, right? He's 11. The next night he read Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And this is um, when, when Herod's trying to get uh, the wise men to go and, and to bring Jesus and tell him where Jesus is, right? Bring his location back to him. And he says this, this is what Dave said. What others say is not always best, but what Jesus says is always best. Sometimes you have to disobey others to obey God. I'm like, dang, I'm like you're preaching Sunday because <laughs> let me, if If we could just live those two sentences, right? That what others say is not always best, but what Jesus says is always best. Sometimes you have to disobey others to obey God. Like we could just live that. We just get that down. You know, I'm like, why can't I just do that? And my 11 year old saw it. The next night he read Matthew 2, 13 through 18. And this is about, I guess, when the angels appear to Mary. And he says this, a lot of times angels don't appear in your sight to tell you things, but they can appear in dreams But no matter how they appear, you should always listen. King Herod was a punk. And so I I did ask his permission to read that. But man, and I told him, I told him, I said, Dake, I'm more proud of you for this than I would be if you hit a home run because this is awesome. I was like, Dake, there's so many people that that don't get that. They don't realize that. And my prayer is that it just doesn't exist here, but it exists here, right? And some of us, we need to make that transfer from our head to our heart. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to make that transfer. But the thing I want to encourage you with is guys, you can do this. I know it will be awkward. I know that it will be weird. If you've got a 13 or 14 year old they already think you're from mars right they already think you're an alien you go walking in there you never read the bible with them you never prayed with them and he's like son i want to pray with you he's gonna be like what has dad been smoking right push past it 
Because this is the thing. They may roll their eyes. They may make a face. They may say something smart. But when you walk out of that room, it's going to impact them. And they'd rather hear two sentences from you than 45 minutes from me. And most of y'all probably would too. But (laughs) I want to encourage you. Some of you feel inadequate and unequipped because of your own father. I want to encourage you that you are not bound to those, those chains of, of how your father was do not bind you to be that way. Some of you had great fathers that led you to the Lord. Some of you, you're going to start a new, um, a, new, a new way of living that's going to impact generations. You're not bound to live like anybody else because if you're in Christ, you are bound to him and he will transform you to be used in your family and in your workplace and everywhere else that you go to be a vessel of transformation and grace to those people around you. So here we go. Number three reasons that many times we don't lead our families is that you feel disqualified and condemned. So many of us have this shovel of condemnation and we did something or we've done something or we keep doing something. We keep digging this hole. We keep digging this hole and we keep digging and we figure I've already dug so far. I'm never going to get out. And so we just keep on digging and we keep on digging. And it's time for us to realize that we need to throw that shovel away and we need to repent and start going a different direction. We need to turn from that and turn to Jesus. I can't promise you that everything's going to be perfect, but what I can promise you is that if you keep digging, the hole's going to get deeper. And so we need to come to a place where we finally turn and we realize that Jesus specializes in qualifying the disqualified and redeeming the condemned. That is what Jesus does. He gives new birth. He creates new things. He makes us a new creation and we're in a relationship with him. The things around us can begin to be renewed. So we begin to follow him and lead out of that. Guys, if you want a miracle in your family, you want a miracle in the lives of those around you that you have influence with, then lead them to Jesus. Lead them to Christ. Number four, you feel it's too late. And there are people in here, your children are grown. Maybe they're wayward. Some of you, you may not even know where your child is. And listen, I, I, that is, that's painful. That's hard. That's heavy. What do you do now? I tell you to go read Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son because there was a loving father who even though his son, his youngest son came to him and said, give me my share of the inheritance, which was basically saying, dad, I wish you were dead. He gave it to him. His son went off, squandered it all. But you know what? The son came back and it wasn't because the, the, the man closed off the doors. It wasn't because he put people out to guard and make sure they never, he never came back. It was because he left the door open. And I guarantee you this man who represents God in, in our lives, that this man prayed and that this man left the door open. And one day his son came home. I can't promise you that, but I can promise you this. You pursue Jesus and your life is going to be better. Your circumstances may not change, but your life is going to be better. For some of us, our children are home and we've just been screwing it up, right? We've just been messing it up. Here's what you do. You repent and you say, I'm sorry. And you begin to live a different life and you begin to invest in them spiritually. And you begin to gain influence with them in spiritual things and faith things. And you begin to see God change their hearts and you begin to see God change their life. But you begin to invest and it's going to take humility. It's going to take feeling foolish. It's going to take you being a man and standing up and owning your responsibility and saying no more. 
It's going to take you actually being in a relationship with Jesus. The fifth one, you don't realize the power of your influence. You don't realize the power of your, you don't realize, man, our families, our children, in so many ways, they're so forgiving. It's almost, it's sad in a way, but it reminds me of like a dog. It's why I love dogs. It's like you can yell at a dog, you can kick, I don't kick dogs, please don't call anybody. I don't kick dogs. But, but you can, you want, and what does the dog do? It comes back, right? We mess it up, they come back. Cats, you do that, they're like, I can catch a rat. I do not need you. And they just go. In so many ways, our families are forgiving. And some of us, we haven't burned that bridge yet, but we're close. We're so close. And I'm telling you, repent, turn back from that. Turn away from that bridge. Begin investing in your own relationship with Jesus and from the overflow of what Jesus pours into your life, allow it to flow into the life of your family. But it takes heart change. Can't walk out of here and go, well, I'm motivated. It'll last until you get to the red light. If it's not heart change, it does not last. If it's not Jesus, it does not last. You may take one step today, but there's going to be a lot of other steps that you need to take. I want you to realize, man, the power of your influence. Statistically, when children begin to attend church first, 3.5% of families follow. When women begin to attend church first, 17% of families follow. When men begin to attend church first, 93% of families follow. That is staggering. We have been given a divine stewardship. Guys, it's not too late. Let's work at this. Let's exhaust ourselves not to earn a dollar, but to redeem our families. That's what God's called us to. It's the greatest responsibility we have. And it happens when we model it. When we model a relationship, when they see it, when they know we're pursuing, they see it in us. Number six, and this is just point blank. This hit me in the face too. It's probably going to hit you in the face. Number six reason that many times we don't invest, we don't um, influence our families. We just don't lead our families to Jesus. Number six is this, that you're lazy and apathetic in your faith. Way to end the message, Brandon, right? Don't we, don't we struggle with that? Sometimes we just become lazy. We just become apathetic in our faith. I think the number one thing that's killing the church in America today is we're so doggone comfortable that we're just apathetic about it. Don't put it up. Listen, we're not, we're not done. You need, need to listen. We're lazy and we're apathetic. And the only way that this can happen, the only way we become apathetic in our workplace, in our family, the only way we become apathetic in our home with our children is that we become blind to the eternal implications of not investing spiritually in your children and your family. And I want you to understand this. I'm not coming down hard on you. This is not condemnation. This is to be correction. Because one day I realize my responsibility is that I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to have to give account for what I told you. And men, Some of us need to wake up in this room today and realize that we are neglecting, we are throwing away the divine responsibility and the divine stewardship that God has given us and we need to get with Jesus and we need to say, Holy Spirit, change my heart and we need to come to a place where we hit our knees and we ask our family for forgiveness for all the abusive things we've said, for all of the negativity that we've brought and we need to say, God, change my heart, use me to redeem my family. And that's heavy. 
but that's reality. And one day, just like I, will stand before God, and it's, it's awesome to have a big church. It's cool, and it looks good, and it's cool, and we can talk about that. But that's more people that I'm going to be accountable for. And that one day, just like I will stand and be accountable for what I taught you, you're going to stand and be accountable for everything that God gave you to steward. And if I didn't tell you that, then it would be because I don't love you and I have no guts. But one day you will stand and you will be held accountable for what you've done and how you've stewarded the things you've given. Not the least of those will be your family and your children. And I realize for some people this probably hurts. But there's healing in Christ. There's healing in community. And we want to help you walk that out. But for many of us today needs to be a day that we quit hoping our kids somehow end up on the right path and we start being intentional about investing in their lives spiritually. Most of us come to church and we bring our children, we even drag our husband, hoping that maybe one day our children just have enough Jesus to have a good life and not do drugs and not end up pregnant before they're married. What a terrible standard of gospel living. Jesus desires to transform our hearts, our families, communities, to renew the earth by the spirit of God working in us. Dad, are you willing to fight for the heart of your family? Are you willing to fight for the heart of your children? Are you willing to stand up and fight for their hearts? Because this is the thing, if you're not willing to fight for it and you're not willing to guard it, there is a world out there that is willing and would love to steal it. They would love to take it. You walk out here, you, you can't listen to the radio, you can't look, look at a billboard, you can't watch TV without seeing the world trying to get your heart and trying to get your children's heart. You want to get me upset, then, then start talking about the people who are trying to push pornography on my children. You want to get me upset, talk about the people who are trying to push drugs on my children. You want to get me upset, talk about the fact that we can't even watch a football game on TV without some chick dripping barbecue sauce from a Hardy's hamburger down her chest. It's messed up. And God's given us a stewardship of changing the world. But if it's not real to us, it won't be real to anybody else. Is it real? Are we just playing a game? Because if we're playing games, let's quit. Time is short. If this isn't real, then listen, we don't have very long to live it up because we're going to go the way that billions and billions and billions of others have gone. And we're going to go back into the ground. It's time for the church to stand up. And guys, you want to see a community change? You want to see people's lives change? Then let the men of the church become men and quit being boys. You let men step up and begin to lead. You let men step up and blaze the path. And I'm not even going to beat around the bush. This is what I'm asking today. I want to know if there's a man in here who will stand up, not because I'm up here screaming and yelling and you might have got a goosebump, but because Jesus has touched your heart and it's real. See, this is the thing. I'm going to ask you to stand. But before you stand, I want to make sure it's this. I want to make sure it's real. We have people that didn't stand at nine. And you know what? I appreciate their honesty. I'd rather have an honest man around me than somebody that's a hypocrite all day long. If it's real to you, if the spirit has spoken to you, if you know it's time to make a change, then I want you to stand. Here's another reason not to stand, to try to please your wife. It's a horrible reason. Some of you, you've dug such a deep hole. You're like, maybe if I stand, she won't leave. Know what? She probably needs to leave if you stand and it's not real. This is what I'm going to ask. I want to know, is there a man in the house today who would say, 
I'm going to stand and I'm going to fight for the heart of my family. I'm going to stand. I'm going to fight for the heart of a community. I'm going to stand. I'm going to fight for the heart of my wife. I'm going to stand. I'm going to fight for the heart of my children. Then I'm going to ask you right now. You stand. You stand. And let's see. I just want to know, are we going to make a difference in the world? I know. I know. Look, look, look. I know it's awkward, especially if you're sitting right now. It's awkward, but listen, I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate your honesty. And you may think I'm a jerk. No, I just love you enough to tell you the truth. And I'll speak to the guys that are standing. God will change the world through us. God and the power of the Holy Spirit in you will change the world through us. He took 120 people on the day of Pentecost and he started a movement that has not stopped yet. If we will lead, then people will follow. You've been given influence to lead your family and to lead others to Christ. We're not supposed to do this alone. You're not in a group of of other believers that can encourage you and strengthen you. Then get in one. We can't make it alone, guys. We can't even do it apart from Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing. I struggle to be a good father on, on, on days that I'm abiding in Christ. You can imagine what it's like when I'm not, right? But if we'll cling to him and abide in him as he's abiding in us and holding us, man, God will change our faith. He will change the world. He will change the world. Man, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the honesty of those that didn't stand. I'm praying that God does a work in our heart. And listen, if you're sitting, I know it doesn't mean you're not a Christian, you're not a believer. I'm just thankful for the ones who say today, there's some steps I need to take to become the leader of my family and the leader that God's called me to be, to use the influence wisely that he's given me. And I want to pray for you right now. Lord, thank you so much for today and the opportunity to speak to these people. God, I love them. I love them, God. And and I thank you for them. And I pray you'll move in their hearts. Thank you for these men, God. Thank you that that, that you've spoken to them. Thank you that they've experienced the reality of the living God, that you are alive. You're not dead, God. And I pray that you'll continue to move in us, God. Right now, we're asking, God. Right now, we're seeking. Right now, we're knocking. And God, I thank you that when we seek, we find. When we ask, we receive. And God, we knock the doors open to us and so that we can come in and have fellowship with you and I ask you to do that now Lord I ask you to just draw us closer to you let us be the men that you've called us to be let us take the steps you've called us to step let us push past the awkwardness that many of us are feeling let us push past the the doubt and the, the wondering will it even make a difference and let us just be faithful to you knowing that we will not get to the end of our lives having lived them for you and regret the days Lord but that we will be rejoicing that we spent those days serving you, Father. We love you, God, and we thank you. I thank you for people who seek your heart. And I thank you, God, for those that you have yet to touch, but you will, Lord. I love you, and I thank you, Jesus. Amen.